Welcome to the Emblem Support Podcast. Closing out the old year, it's Ordo, and bringing in the new year is Cardwiz. Build an army, trust no one, except for us. This is the Emblem Support Podcast, and my good friend Ordo. As we bring in this new year, we have to close out the old with what games did you end up finishing the year playing? Well, I've been playing Dragon Age, uh, or I'm sorry, Dragon Quest Eleven. Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition, because that's not a mouthful to say. And I have been loving every single bit of it. I remember playing the PS4 version. I absolutely love that game, but I remember I didn't finish the story. I probably got to the two-thirds portion. And when you get there, I will have that talk about what that game means at that point. But I remember absolutely loving the first two-thirds with all the characters and so many amazing side stories that happen in that game. This game has managed to make me cry twice. Uh, not like not like absolutely sobbing boohoo uncontrollably, but just where, where I've got like some tears thrown to my face. I'm just like, oh no, oh my god, how did this happen? And uh, another time was just out of happiness. I was just like, oh yes, finally, yes. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ups and downs in this game. Real, it's a real emotional roller coaster. I, I'm trying not to think. I'm trying to think of what to say without spoiling it because so many of the best moments of that game are just such big story moments to go over. But I'm just thinking of like the side quests. I I remember there's a side quest with a mermaid, and if you know, like mermaids, just about in any story of lore, you know how those stories tend to go, and. I was absolutely destroyed for a while because it was one of those things where it was like, oh, I wasn't sure if the game would go here because it's all these character designs are so happy and so wonderful and anime and it's all going so well and sometimes things don't go well. Let me and, let me ed, let me let me edit my, uh, my my previous thing I said. I got three times I've cried here in this game now that you brought that up. <laughs> uh all of these, all the characters in your party, they develop so well with their own stories. You learn why they are the way they are, and just, it, it's a it's a game done right. It is just a straight up. Here is the RPG. It is a turn based system. Here are your party members. We're going to go through all of their stories. There's a main overarching story, and there are side stories you can do. It's about as simple as it gets. But Dragon. Dragon Quest Eleven, almost a Dragon Age Eleven. Dragon Quest Eleven does it so well, and I'm sure the Switch version with all the additional content is even more refined. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much all I've got going on for me. What uh, What about you? I fell victim to the holiday sales at the end of last year, like from Black Friday and the Christmas sales and the New Year sales. I I I let myself buy too many games, so I'm way too spread thin at the moment. Probably the main things I've been playing right now have been... I've been playing MLB The Show 19 for PlayStation 4, which is one of the better RPGs out there. Story doesn't quite compare to Dragon Quest Eleven, but the actual RPG mechanics and the gameplay are pretty top-notch. They actually finally announced that, oh, well, we're going to start bringing the show MLB franchise to other consoles, so... Sony won't be the only thing with a baseball game on it, so hopefully Switch players and Xbox players will finally get to play a baseball game for the first time in like five years. That was a dumb exclusive thing. 
Last time I really invested into a baseball game was this old Genesis game that I have. It's like I think it's like ten gen RBI baseball in ninety three. For whatever reason, I just really love that game. I don't know why. I don't think I ever played the Sega Genesis baseball game. The, the baseball game I grew up with was Ken Griffey Jr.'s, uh, not Slugfest. Slugfest was the N64 one, but the Super Nintendo one where Ken Griffey Jr. It had all the MLB baseball teams in it, but Ken Griffey Jr. was the only player, so it had just every other player, and that game was completely made up. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo did do that for a little bit. I remember... Uh... One of the first games I had from the Nintendo 64 was like Kobe Bryant's Courtside. Uh, it, it had it, but it had everybody too, including Kobe. <laughs> uh, but that's one art game I've been playing. The other game I've been playing, not sure how much I'd call it a game, but I think I'm enjoying my time with it. I've been playing Death Stranding, Hideo, Hideo Kojima's post Metal Gear Solid game, he's finally been given freedom, and he's enjoying it. <laughs> I, I will say, I I like the idea of it. I like the idea of just like, oh, you're this dude who's just going around delivering packages because the world is sort of ending and corpses, if they don't get burned, they turn into basically nukes, and they're, they turn into ghosts, which drag you into a black ooze, afterworld death thing and just like i'm all for that weirdness bring on that crazy world my problem is i don't love the controls to it i we i don't like that you seem you it feels like i have to be carrying a ton of packages because i have to carry a lot of supplies i have to carry a lot of ladders climbing ropes and stuff like that but if you carry too much and like barely over like halfway your limit, you have to worry about, oh, you have to worry about keeping balance. So you constantly have to be pushing, pushing on the left trigger to lean to the left. You have to be constantly holding right trigger to lean to the right. And uh, the actual physical controls to that game, I have not found to be enjoyable. Maybe I'm doing something wrong or maybe I'll, it's one of those things that, we have to unlock one or two things before you feel really good about it. But overall, I'm going to give it a shot. It's one of those games that I keep hearing you have to play through like chapter three. You have to get through chapter three. That's when the real game starts. So it's just like, I'll give it till then. I'll give the game till then to sell me. Otherwise, I got it on sale. And I could just return it for probably close to how much I spent on it. Are you... Uh... Yeah, I've got nothing for uh, Death Stranding. <laughs> I've got no, I've got no jokes. Just I don't yeah. know. All, all I remember from Death Stranding before this was just all of the mega game awards hype for the past year because he's friends with Healy and he's actually one of the developers who's willing to go on stage and talk to people, and people will tune their in their eyes to that. I, I remember after the Konami thing happened with Metal Gear Solid Five the game awards that year, I think that was either like the first or second year of the game awards with like Keely giving an emotional speech about like how Konami wouldn't let Kojima be there today, even though he wanted to be. And I think that was the big origins of the F Konami stuff uh, that, that Kojima Keely, the game awards have all sort of been this one big story leading up to this year's game awards. It feels like in a weird way. I remember that happening, and I just remember, I remember like the massive like. I don't want to say could I don't want to say like Jeff Keeley was like 
disliked by people, but suddenly people were like, oh man, Jeff Keighley, thank you, you know what I mean? It was suddenly like there was this, he had a big baby face turn, <laughs> and ever, everyone loved him all of a sudden. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, before that moment, like, Keeley was, I think, respected by a lot of people, and that just, like, he's one of the video games, one of the faces of video game journalism. But that moment, he became, went from being a video game journalist to, like, the face of sort of that side of the industry. And yeah. people were happy about it. And I, I've liked Keeley for a long time, since, like, the G4 days. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, speaking of Keeley, speaking of Game Awards this year... Um, when Death Stranding was nominated for all those awards, I was just like, this, this just reeks because, pardon me, <clears throat> the way this actually goes is that, uh, various publications or publications or outlets, what have you, will actually send their nominations in for these awards. And Death Stranding was on so many, despite the fact that it kind of got like these mixed to middling reviews. So it being on the ballot for so many things and, you know, Keely and uh, Kojima's friendship and all that. A lot of people were just like, "Yeah, it's just going to sweep." But it only won like uh, I think best voice acting and best, or sorry, it was Mads Mikkelsen for his uh, voice acting. And there was one other award it won. I can't remember. Was it maybe best direction? Uh, yes, best game direction. Yeah, so that was that was pretty interesting. And I was what I was really surprised is when Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice just one game of the year from like everything. I was just like, Oh, that's out of nowhere. I I was very surprised by that. I thought that either from what I was hearing from people, I thought that either resident evil two or death stranding were going to be a shoe in, but Sekiro got it. Well, one of the reasons I think death stranding did get all those nominations. I do think it benefited from being released at just like the right time where like it was fresh on people's minds, like as they were doing the nominations I think if that game had been released in like March, I don't think it would have been nominated for as many things. It's the Uncharted 4 thing from like, I want to say maybe 2017, where it was released right around that time, March, April. And everyone, at least from the podcasts and things that I listen to, everyone's just like, oh yeah, Uncharted 4, game of the year, game of the year, game of the year. And then I think it didn't win, it didn't get game of the, game of the year or even hardly any accolades from anybody. Yeah, that's it's just one of those things with movies and video game award show, just award shows. You're, you're going to benefit if you're released within like the three months of the actual awards that, that will give you a boost. Yeah. But speaking of the game awards, that, did, was, um, did, did oh, Fire Emblem win anything? Uh, let me look at the nominations for game of the year. Cause obviously it's, it, it's my personal game of the year. So I'm sure it was nominated for Game of the Year. Here are the nominations. Uh, Sekiro, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Smash, Outer Worlds, and... The, wait, uh, Fire Emblem isn't on this list. The, the journalists have neglected Fire Emblem. Is, is there anything we can do about this to let our voices be heard? Simply put, we vote, and we voted hard. And your 2019 player's voice was... Fire Emblem Three Houses. And then it also went ahead and picked up the best strategy game uh, as well, which was super, which was super hype. Yes, it, it went two for two in the awards it was nominated for. Well, one for one of the award it was nominated for, and the fans forced another award on it. So that just made me happy. 
so I want to give a uh, I want to give a shout out to basically you know all the even if you don't listen to it or I mean they probably won't listen to it but like all the developers the localizers the various voice actors you know all those people because you know a lot of hard work and a heart of love and a lot of love went into this game and still going into it we've still got another batch of DLC coming out yeah I mean they're still we're still working on this game they're still bringing in bringing out some content. So I mean I was I was super happy to see it. It was probably really the only thing I was watching the Game Awards for, just to see if it would win. And I think Smash took home Best Fighting Game, and I and as you know we have um, quite a number of Fire Emblem things that are in Smash. So I I give that a part. I give this partially to Fire Emblem as well. We'll, we'll take it. We'll we'll take that win. We take just those. Like, yeah, I I watched for the awards this year, but of course, like the big thing that most people are watching for is the trailers, because like the Game Awards has sort of become like mini e3 like the image like the six month buffer between e3s where it's just like okay here's where we're going to debut a bunch of trailers or at least that's what people expect for some reason people have decided oh everyone's going to release their big trailers here like uh, nintendo did last year they released the joker trailer so of course 100 they're going to release the new the fifth smash dlc character that's going to be revealed 100 eh, that didn't happen but we did get a few really cool trailers that I'm very happy about. Yeah, I saw a lot of people being like really upset with like Jeff Keighley and all, and a lot of people. I'm just like Jeff Keighley doesn't work for Nintendo, and Nintendo, you know, themselves never said, "Hey, check out the Game Awards for uh, the new Smash trailer." You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, don't get mad at the people, or don't get mad for showing up for something that you know no one told you was going to be there. Now, if I said, hey, guys, check it out, new Smash character, check it out, and then nothing happened, you would have all the right in the world to be mad at me. But if no one promised you anything, or no one gave you anything, you have no right to be mad. Suck it up. Yep. I'm just happy Wolf Among Us 2 is back on, and we're getting Bravely Default 2. Suck it, Bravely Second, I guess. I, I never touched that one. Yeah, I never played uh, the original Bravely Default because I was always like, "Well, I'm waiting." I heard it has like this weird time loop thing, which I wasn't sure about. So I was like, "Well, let me wait for it to drop in price before I actually get it." And then it just that it game never, dropped, never in price. dropped in price. Oh Bra- my goodness! No. Bravely Second dropped in price almost immediately. So I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah, it, it's a good bat. If you like Octopath Traveler's battle system, you would like Bravely Default because it's pretty much the same thing. Alright. Maybe something to look forward to. I'm just I'm burying myself in RPGs again. Which I, I told know. myself at the very end of this year. I'm just like Okay. Twenty twenty. Let's try to chill on the RPGs. Let's let me try to get through, you know, some of the things that I've been playing and Dragon Quest, the the last third of the game that I'm in is a huge, huge uh chunk now that I know some things that need to be done in certain places. Um, and so much, it's actually pushed back. Um, I don't know if I said I would on the podcast, but I will not be getting Tokyo Mirage Sessions day one. Not day one, but I will be getting it. Yeah, I, I'm, I've got the list of just the three months of first three months of 2020. The games that are being released in the first three months include Ori and the Will of the Wisp, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Persona 5 Royal, in Japan, they've got uh, Persona 5 Scramble and Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, and of course, for the sake of the podcast, we've got Tokyo Mirage Sessions uh, Sharp FE Encore Edition coming out. and 
I want to get that game, but it's one of those situations where it's like, for the sake of my wallet, I don't know if I should at launch. Right. Yeah. But that we should still talk about this game. It still has Fire Emblem connections coming out. We've both played the original on the Wii U. It, it honestly was, might be my favorite game that ever came out on the Wii U. So let's sort of talk about some of our memories of that game. Like, some, some both the positive and the negatives about that game. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think Tokyo Mirage Sessions? Well, I would actually say the first thing that comes to mind is uh, a negative aspect. Not for me personally, but I know it's a negative for a lot of people. Um, when you think back to that very first trailer, and it shows all the um, Shin Megami Tensei characters, and I think, it, I think a couple of the Persona characters as well, and all the Fire Emblem characters, and it's like, they're coming together to make this RPG game. And people are like, Oh my God. Cause they showed like characters at the time had that hadn't been seen for like ages. Like, okay. So this was the first time you saw a lot of those characters being in any sort of like trailer format. Now it wasn't new artwork. These were, this is obviously the reused artwork that they've had for ages, but still like, and then, um, it just went silent. So you kind of had this hype building like, Oh man, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And then it turned out it was this weird, poppy uh experience and now the only games that were going to be involved were no Shin Megami Tensei games at all um there's some references there and the only Fire Emblem things that they were pulling from were Shadow Dragon and Awakening and so I was just like well that's kind of disappointing it was very disappointing the connections were loose to say the best I the only reason I probably ended up getting the game was because of those loose connections. But I remember ending up really liking this world. And I'm not someone who's like, who usually gets like the Japanese idol sort of thing. I don't really read any manga of that thing. I don't watch any anime with that theme. I've never played any games with that theme. So this was like me diving in headfirst on something I don't really know much about, a culture I don't know much about. And for the most part, I really enjoy watching these characters' journeys to be like to sort of achieve that idol thing. You got the main girl, Subasa, wants to be a singer. You've got the guy who sort of ter- is your best friend who wants to basically be a Sentai Power Ranger sort of thing. Yeah. I loved watching that journey happen. <laughs> that was one for me too. <laughs> the biggest one of the biggest problems for me in that game was you're not playing as any of those characters. You're playing as Sort of the plain, plain guy, the it, straight man. Itsuki, who, Itsuki Aoi, which his last name is just literally blue. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, you're going to be an idol too, but you don't really do anything. Your, your character is a completely blank canvas, but in the worst possible way. And Like Persona, for example. The main characters in those games are blank slates, silent protagonist. But the way choices you make along the way, the way you get to know the characters, you sort of form your own personality with the pro that protagonist that doesn't happen in this game. It feels like uh Subasa should have been the main character because everything that revolves is around her rather yeah. than you. So it just, it feels weird to have your character there. Yeah, and there's there's a few times where he doesn't really even seem like he's like enthusiastic about things that are happening around him. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone else's enthusiasm 
enthusiasm about being an idol sort of is a little bit infectious, gets you a little bit more interested in this world, helps me invest as someone who doesn't understand the world. But the main character is just sort of like, I'm, I guess I'm here. I guess I'll join you on this journey. He's very much, um, he's very much a middle of the road character. I don't like him, but I don't really hate him either. It's just like, yeah, he's there. I mean, I mean, and if you even think about it, like who's the spirit that they put in Smash Brothers Ultimate? It wasn't Itsuki. It was Subasa because she's basically she should be the main character. She basically is, but uh, that's that's one negative about the game. Probably my biggest positive about this entire game. I love this battle system. Yes, the battle system is so addicting. Just racking up combos. It's the battle system in this is similar to Shimagane Tensei Persona, where you find the enemy's weaknesses and then you sort of build on top of that you stack your attacks but in this one it's sort of an automatic system where oh this person's weak to lightning so i hit the lightning strike and then someone on my bench comes in and does another similar attack which if they're weak to that they'll build up another combo so the next person will attack and then the next person will attack and the next person will attack so you'll just get like 10 attacks going at once and it is it is a good adrenaline rush when that happens when you perfectly balance it so you just stack these attacks on these monsters so they can't even stop you yeah. uh it's so much fun yeah those are the those are the session attacks i recently watched uh like a video of all the attacks and stuff again so i get like refresh my mind uh my favorite ones are the, like the music performance attacks those are just so cool like how did you yes. <laughs> i'm trying to think i'm trying to think what my favorite one is and i think it's um oh my gosh it's the I can't remember her name. I think her name is Mamoru or Mamori, but she sings a song called raindrop memories. It's very soft and soothing. And her, um, performa will actually like go over to each one of the party members and like hit them with a buff while she's singing. And it's, I just, that's just one of the cool ones. Actually, you know what? No, there's another one that I like it's, um, Oh my God. I, I like all, I like them all. I like them all. Another, well, shoot. I'm trying, I'm trying not to spoil anything, uh, for those people who are, you know, looking forward to that game so i I don't want to say anything else but the performances are some of the coolest another little thing we're probably not going to experience with the switch that was a game that made good use of the wii u tablet where your tablet was your phone you just scroll through your messages just simple little things just a little touch that was an actual good use of the wii u tablet yeah, they sent you text messages. It may have been a map display as well, but I can't remember. It's uh, last time yes. I played it was uh, 2016, I think. Yes, I, I played it when it came out. I never finished it. I, th- I think I was one of those games where like I got like 80 percent through the game, put the game down, and just never got back to it. Yeah, something. Oh, something else I just thought about. Like it just came to me. Um, the uh, the additional. Oh, I don't want to say it's additional party members, but we talked about those uh, session attacks. Uh, well, now your other like people who weren't uh, party members before will actually join in on them now. And they actually have their own like costumes and stuff too. Yes. That so, was a big part of uh, encore. Yeah. So the director, um, I can't remember if like, there's a couple of characters that they said that they used to have performers and they used to be able to see into um, the idolosphere. I think that's what it's called, but uh, apparently they don't anymore. They don't really explain uh, why that happened, but the director, she has this new costume, and she where she's wearing a low cut black dress, and she has dual knives. And I'm just like, that looks like 
uh, Air, the princess from Fire Emblem Heroes. I'm just like, okay. The other two, um, Tiki's, the uh, this version of Tiki is basically wearing the regular version of Tiki's clothes, so no real, like, real um, reference there, other than to the original Tiki. And then Barry, he's wearing some kind of suit of armor. This is going to be a fun game. I, just talking about it is getting me a little bit hyped up for it. Maybe I will go within the first month or so. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, actually, I said I wouldn't spoil the performances, but actually they really did go out of their way um, with these because they actually have music videos. Like actual, like, small, like, two and three minute videos and after that you'll have your these don't happen during the attack like you'll go through the dungeon or whatever it may be and then you'll see that oh blah 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 and then we're ready for this performance and then you'll actually get to see a video of the performance uh, I'm now now I'm getting hyped for this I may pick this up day, day one after all <laughs> this podcast is not good for our wallets no no we got to stop <laughs> uh, but for now we must continue mm-hmm Oh, one more thing before we, before we uh, close out the Tokyo Mirage Sessions uh, stuff is that Nintendo has been putting out um, overview videos. So there's an English one at one right, right now, and I believe on their Twitter channel or Twitter account somewhere, it's probably buried by now, uh, they had a preview of the new song called, uh, I think it's called She Is. I might be wrong on that. I've seen some stills from it, but I haven't wanted to spoil myself, so I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a small 30-second video. I will say I will say that if you are a fan of Persona 4, 3, 4, or 5, go ahead and pick it up. It's different. It's fun. But it's still familiar all the same. Mm-hmm. Not as many, like, the social links aren't as in-depth as those games, but... If you like the battle system, definitely check it out. I think it is an improved version of the battle system from those games. Yeah. So instead of having like 10 for per, for, per character or 9, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head, you basically just have like 3 per character. And that kind of simulates the old uh, Game Boy Advance supports where it was your C support, your B support, and your A support. But uh, yeah, so... Um, as, I, as I record this, it is January 4th, uh, 2020. Um, it's been, well, it's actually a year since we started the podcast, starting back, uh, November in, uh, 2018. Uh, we first uploaded our two episodes, which was the prologue and the episode one up to YouTube. And then a little while later, I was just like, why don't I just see like if this audio thing will work out instead of the YouTube. And so then I uploaded the prologue and the episode one up to Anchor, and of course Anchor spread that out against uh, different places, so Spotify and other places like that. But one of the things we actually asked is, um, you know, what was it that you started with? You know, what game that you started with? And uh, I finally got a comment back. Um, This person's name, he asked me just to call him by his um, Twitter name, which I will link in the description. So if you want to chat Fire Emblem with him, hook him up with some games. Um, here we go. So his, his at is not in Freaky, and he writes, For starting the series, I did Echoes, which can be weird if you have no context, but the story is super motivating and pushed me to learn outside the game. So it can be good for beginners, but now I'm too spoiled by the past 
I'm sorry, I'm too spoiled to play past games because of the VA and the turn wheel mechanic. So thank you for that comment, as always, at Emblem Supports if you want to hit us up with comments. And he also requested a support for us to do. But I wanted to go back to his uh, comment. So what do you think about him starting with Echoes? That really is probably a really good place to start from a modern standpoint. I do agree that once you get used to a turn wheel, it can be incredibly hard to go back. Just playing Fire Emblem Three Houses so much over the last six months, man, I can't even imagine going back to play some of the other, going to play the GameCube or the Game Boy Advance games. I, man, I haven't touched the Game Boy Advance games in six months. That might be a record for me. <laughs> The turn wheel is a fantastic addition. I love it. I don't care if some people, hardcore fans, think it's too casual. I love the turn wheel. More turn wheel. Keep that in there forever and ever and ever. I remember I remember one of the things I said. I was just like, oh man, you probably wouldn't want to start with Echoes if you don't really have any context. But I guess when you have no like expectations or context, it kind of changes everything. It really does. Like it it's the turn wheel makes the game so different in so many different ways, but Another reason Echoes is such a good starting point is Almond and Selica are just great characters. I love those characters so much. They're two of the best protagonists in the entire series. And their story is so compelling. You want to push on through it. And that's a great, it's just a great place to start. And you know me, the music. Oh my God, the music. <laughs> Lord of a Dead Empire. You, if, you've, if you played Smash Ultimate, you know it's in there. That's good. Um, I think uh, one, I think it's called Land of Sorrow. Uh, that's another good song. And then the the credits theme sung by Bonnie Gordon. Ah, oh, wonderful. Oceans, oceans, gray waves. Who? <laughs> you are the oceans, gray waves. <laughs> but Mister um, Not Enfrique, if you if you ever did have the inclination to go back and play one of the games, because Echoes. Um, because Echoes was your first game, I would recommend giving the Sacred Stones a try, because Sacred Stones is almost the original quote-unquote remake um, of Gaiden, because it takes plenty of things from those games, or sorry, from the original Gaiden, and kind of well, for the time modernized uh, modernized them. And the game, it's it's not very difficult either. Obviously, no turn wheel or anything like that. But if you ever have the inclination, um, definitely check it out. Or give me a shout, and I will talk to you all about Sacred Stones, because I love Sacred Stones. He really will. That that That's a threat. <laughs> so, he also, as I mentioned, he uh, requested a support from us. And so we're going to do Leon and Valbar. Card was, what, who do you want to be, Leon or Valbar? Eh, I'll take Leon. How's it going, old friend? Pretty good, Leon. How about you? Oh, you know me. I'm always at 110% when you're around. You're around. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Still, truth be told, I've been thinking about something. You're a rather handsome devil and more than good in a fight. If you could just keep your mouth shut, I bet the ladies would flock to you. What are you talking about? And what in Mila's name do I want with a whole flock of women? Fighting at your side is enough for me. I require no other distractions. Y- yeah? Oh, uh, well, thanks. That's actually pretty flattering, I suppose. <laughs> well, that was a good little C support. Get characters knowing each other. It works. It. I'm trying to find the words. 
I'm struggling to find the words. I am sorry about that. It, no, I mean it's a pretty it's a pretty basic support. Uh, these two guys basically know each other. Now Leon, he has a crush on Valbar, mm-hmm. and and this establishes that. It does a good job of establishing it without hitting you over the head with it. This isn't like Niles from Fire Emblem Fates, who is uh... absolutely horrendous and probably one of the worst written characters that I've ever come across before. <laughs> All right. With that established, we move on to the B. A question for you, old friend. Shoot. You and me are past tiptoeing around this kind of thing, so uh, you lost your whole family, right? Yeah, I guess I did. And yet, you still fight for this world. That That's quite impressive. Of course, yo, the priestess girl, but most men would just give up regardless. Yeah, maybe so. I'll admit, there is time when the pain's so bad it leaves me numb. But that's because I was so damned happy when I was with him. It's all an even balance, you know? I got good en- I got good enough for all the bad. Anyway, I avenged them, so there's no point in holding on to it. I'm impressed, Valbar. Sorry, I botched that line. Uh, he, yeah. says, he says, there's no point in hanging on to hate. I'm impressed, Valbar. Valbar's motivations are pretty basic. Uh, when you first meet him, I think it's... Because it's, it's actually been a while since I've played any of Echoes as well. It's him, Kamui, and Leon, and they're fighting pirates. I believe those are the ones that murdered his family. Simple motivation, but like, just because it's like a basic motivation we've seen a thousand times doesn't mean it's a good motivation. But he even says, you know, there's no point to, to hanging on that, hanging on to the hate, and you know... That's actually that's that's a pretty powerful lesson, I think. Cause a lot, a lot of times in sort of like revenge stories, or even like you know the stories where the person's got to get, um, where they're going to avenge someone. It's like the repeated lesson that's always beat over your head is, oh, getting revenge won't do anything for you. But here, you know, he's avenged his family, and now he's helping Celica, and he's like, you know, what? there's no point in holding on to that hate anymore. Mm-hmm. He's actually been able to move on, where other stories, like I said, the beat you over the head don't really do that at all. And the tone of this is right for that because there's an all, it could also go completely the other way. It's just like, eh, no point in hanging on to the hate. No problems whatsoever. I, I didn't just have my family killed and I'm completely over it. No problems. It's like, this strikes the right balance. That is tricky writing. And in the game, it's voice acted. So it's like tricky voice acting to get down. So yeah. well, well done there. That could have been really off putting, really bad, but that little speech by Valbar is very well done. On to the A. Dot, dot, dot. You're awfully quiet there, Leon. Something on your mind? Just realized I've been a fool for feeling sorry for myself. Compared with what you've gone through, my worries are nothing. Worries, eh? I don't think you're... I didn't think you were the type for all that. <laughs> Hi. Rude. Uh, I have my share of concern. Same as anyone else. Such as a not insignificant case of unrequited love. Oh, that. <laughs> it, it, it's fine. Emotions come in many forms, and as you say, there is no point in hanging on. I'm still glad I have these feelings, and nothing will change that. This is where I think Leon really dist- really kind of uh, distinguishes himself as pretty much a good, like like a well-written gay character. So... I I mentioned Niles earlier, 
and he is a he's a he's bisexual, but like his only male support partner sorry, his only male support for marriage is Corin. And they beat you over the head with his bisexuality in like the most negative ways to where he comes off more as like a predator than an actual person who is bisexual. And here, when I heard that they took this character named Leon and they, you know, they made him gay for Valbar, I was just like, okay, there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this. And I was really surprised that they did this the right way. At least for, at least for my opinion. I'm a straight guy, so... That's just the way I see it. Leon comes across that he cares for Valbar. He doesn't come across like he lusts for Valbar. That is where a gay character going after a straight person can get written very, very poorly. Yeah. I think that is at the core of some of the more poorly written cases of a gay character. Their desire for sex tends to override actual human emotions. This is human emotions. This is good. I like this. Yeah. And there's another there's another support where Leon talks to Kamui and Kamu and Leon basically tells Kamui he's like, you know, you know, this is the way I feel about Valbar. And if Valbar doesn't feel the way, eh, that's all right. And you kind of see that reflected here in the A support. <sighs> but overall though, I like Leon as a character. I think he's good. Yes. Like Leon's character, like Valbar's character. So, there we go. With that said, we will have to move on to the Three Houses playthrough. Chapter 13, Part 2, Azure Moon, Ethereal Moon, Reunion at Dawn. Stuff is bad! Quite, is a, bad. quite a number of things has happened. Yeah, the alliance is split, the empire is spreading, and then what happens to our main character is Byleth basically gets slapped awake mentally by Sothis, who is somehow sort of still around, but after this cutscene really isn't. And we're woken up by a dude with sideburns. Stuff's gone bad. Basically, we've been passed out in the canyon for five years, and I guess we eventually just floated down the river. Yeah, the, not explained well why, like, we fused with Sothis, but Sothis is still here enough to sort of wake us up. And just, uh, I don't know, tomorrow's the Millennium Festival, and we all promised as a bunch of classmates who are, some of us are totally not dead, that we'd meet together at the Millennium Festival. Let's do it! Mm-hmm. So, as we're climbing the stairs, we see a body, and another body, and another body. And we finally get up to the, I don't want to say the top of the staircase, but we do reach a platform, and we see a man huddled in a corner holding a lance. Blonde hair, blue cape, black armor. He looks up to us, and he's like, you too, huh? We finally get to see what's happened to Dimitri, you know, over these five years. Because when the time skip actually first happens, we tell, we get told that, you know, Dimitri was basically put to death. But yet here he is. And he is a shell of himself since we last saw him. Thankfully, when we get to the actual sort of CG cutscene part of it where we see the characters, I at least see that no matter what has happened... Dimitri is still loyal to the Blue Lions Volleyball Squad. 
You'll you'll never take the volleyball away. <laughs> yes, Dimitri's in a bad place. He's killing a lot of people. But luckily, there's some bandits around, so he gets to kill some more bandit rats. This is the debut of my favorite song on the soundtrack called Chasing Daybreak. Love it. Uh, we learned that uh, Dimitri was sentenced to death by Cordelia of the of the kingdom and the empire. And, oh boy, stuff has gone bad. Gilbert is out looking for Dimitri and because he believes him to be alive and he's following a trail of corpses, basically. <laughs> oh boy, Dimitri's in a bad place. Very bad. Yeah, Mentally, he is just unwell, which, you know, sort of confirming in part two, he's basically been dealing, the, dealing with this, you know, since he survived the uh, massacre. Yeah, since he survived the massacre, in part one, we were seeing sort of hints that he was like, yeah, he sees dead people around him. He hears their voices calling for vengeance. And those voices have just gotten louder over the last five years. Luckily, we get to kill some bandits, so maybe that will calm him down. He almost says the line, when we're in the monastery, he's like, we will kill them. Every last one. I was just like, you were, you were this close. You were this close. Dang it. <laughs> uh, anyway we have a we have a map to fight on and it's the same map that if you played any other path is the same map as there you start on the left you move to the right and as you go along your your classmates will join you as it comes along for me gilbert and ash turned up in the top left area mercedes in the bottom left ingrid and felix in the top right but but but, but where are where where where's sylvain where's where's Annette? Oh no. Yeah, my people are still dead. They ain't coming back, probably. Do you want me to tell you what happened? Yeah. I'll, I'll sure, I'm sure I'll find out in the... I'm sure I'll find out in like the at the end of the game with the final screens, but they don't address them in any, in any of the cutscenes or anything here, so go ahead and say. Any unit on any path that, is, that has died in... Or been like injured where they can't, uh, ex- except for those few maps where that's like, oh, don't have to worry about losing anybody. So if you've had anybody die on your team, um, they will die sometime during the time skip. Yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll get really sad at the end when I read pro- possibly how they died. Well, hold on. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a slight spoiler. Not everyone actually dies because <laughs> I just I just remembered this one. <laughs> Because when it gets to your screen at the very end, it'll always tell you the character endings and what happened and all that stuff. If you lose Marianne in part one, it'll say she disappeared from the monastery with her with one horse and was never seen from again. Oh no. Marianne. <laughs> she, she stole Dorte and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's the only one I'll say. That just had me in tears. I was rolling. Uh. I actually know there was another one that was equally hilarious to me. And I hate this character. So I'll say it. <laughs> Cyril went out to look for Rhea and got himself killed by monsters. Oh, Woo! But he He's the best. He's such a nice kid. He just wants to clean. Wait, as, as I'm going through this, I'm, no, I'm noticing like all my characters are here. Where's to do? He didn't die in my playthrough. 
Do, 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 Yeah, we get, we finish up the map and it, we learn that Dudu died in Dimitri's place when he helped him escape. What? Like, I legit was like, did, did I make a choice that actually mattered in the first half and I didn't notice? I was, I was messing with you a little bit because I was just like, oh, Dudu's your dancer, huh? To do as your dancer, huh? Yeah, now I see why you're doing that. Yeah. I don't get a dancer anymore. To do's gone. Apparently. So it's uh we'll 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 talk about this probably at the end of this section because we played through chapter sixteen. But like I was legit wondering, I was just like, was there a choice that happened that actually mattered? Was there like a dialogue choice that I just clicked through because I felt like most the almost every dialogue choice in this game doesn't matter? Did it something actually have consequences? Did it? We'll find out by the end of this section whether it actually mattered or not. All right. As we continue on, we learn that uh, Rufus has been murdered, and uh, Cornelia is claiming Dimitri is the one who did it. Rufus being uh, he was he was the regent. Uh, or he was the king regent who's basically ruling in Demetrius' place because he is the brother of uh, the king. So he was, I believe this is actually mentioned, we don't know, we don't hear his name until uh, the time skip, but he was actually disowned, or not really disowned, but basically he was disqualified from ever having a rule, any sort of influence or rule because he didn't have a crest. Uh, dang it, crests, but... Okay, we, we're off to a bad start post-time skip. It'll probably get better as we move on to Chapter 14, Part 2. Azure Moon. Guardian Moon. The Delusional Prince. Hey, the staff is back! Ex except for me, I don't have Hanuman because Hanuman's dead. Because this game doesn't want me to have a Dark Mage. Everyone's here and happy. It's going to be the staff of the monastery and the Blue Lion Squad. We're all going to save the world! But first, we have a few missions to take care of as we roam around the monastery. We got a bunch of generic battles. We got the generic fetch quest for Gilbert. We had to get a cornerstone. But most importantly, we have to catch an ancient fish in the pond. How will we live without the ancient fish that is in the pond? And as I'm roaming the monastery, doing all the quests and building up everyone's supports and all that fun stuff, I notice something. Dimitri isn't doing anything with us. He's just in the monastery hanging out by himself, and I can't get him to eat. I can't get him to train. I can't even get him to go to choir practice. It's like, Dimitri, you're, you're part of the volleyball squad. You can't go out there on your own, but I, I can't help him. Game won't let me. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I was really... See, I didn't know this in like my first time going to the Blue Lions playthrough, so I was so happy that I ended up getting him uh, equated with both swords and lances because there's a few chapters here where you can't teach or do anything or build any of his levels or skills uh, at all. Now, you can build his support points with other people, and uh, once he'll talk to you again, then you can actually go through with his supports. Uh, that will happen eventually because, dear Lord, I'm going to have so many supports when I finally get to use Dimitri again, but I haven't been able to do that yet. But one thing I've been doing at the monastery, I've been using my magical DLC powers, and I've been going to the sauna. Pretty much I've just been hanging out with Marianne and Shamir because I'm going to make them mortal savants, and they're going to destroy everything. 
I okay. think my Marianne is on a horse. So she is... Oh, I actually made her a holy knight. Nice. Right now I've got Demetria as a holy knight, even though the game is, keeps telling me he should be killing things with physical stuff, including his amazing battalion that joined him post-time skip. Yeah, it's like the Blue Lions something. Yeah, the battalion he comes with post-time skip has like plus 10 attack. So it's just like, you trying to tell me something, game? Should I be fighting physically with Dimitri? But being me, I'm just like, screw it. No, you're gonna, you're still my white mage. So Dimitri, my totally sane white mage, is going around healing everyone. We're all having fun. And uh, when I go to talk to Dimitri at some point, he's talking to Glenn. Totally yep. normal. Yep. So you figured, so you figured Glenn out, huh? Yeah, I've, I've, bet I've known who, what happened with Glenn, or at least guessed for a long time, but. This is a good, that totally sane Dimitri. Just like, let's move on. Uh, we have a. You get a better picture of what happened to Glenn through, I think it's Ingrid and uh, I want to say Dimitri's B support. Yes. I, I'd had support conversations in other playthroughs about Glenn, but it's really cool to see Glenn featured in the Blue Lions. Yeah. So what happens is, or do you care to know? Uh, we'll get to that. Okay, I won't we say might, anything yet. We'll get uh, that. We'll talk about it in the next part, in the next episode. Uh, we get a nice little scene with Randolph and Fletcher, who are part of the Black Eagle Strike Force in this one. And oh, those two, it. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I remember now. It took me like, a second. Yes, I'm like, what? What's going on here? I I just did a bad job of writing my notes because we I've got skipping right into the battle. Because this battle is at, at Garrig Mach once again. And I, I do like this Garrig Mach map. It is a very nice map. Uh, it's sort of a... Uh, this time you're actually, I think, fighting in the village rather than the castle. Mm-hmm. Or am I, I... I could be remembering that wrong. We're, we're in the village part, but we are at battle in the village part. Like This is what we fought in like literally two chapters ago. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Nothing new about this map, except there is one neat thing... On the right side of the map, there's an, a unit we can escort, a green unit. And if we uh, escort this unit to a place in the south, we'll get a reward. All right, I wonder what this happy reward is. Oh, this unit burned the city. This is our reward. Hooray. <laughs> Thanks, green unit. Uh, all right, we continue on south. Simple enough. We beat up Rudolph and... Dimitri is planning on keeping him alive to torment him. Yay! Torture. Dimitri is our hero. Yeah. Luckily, we just killed this guy. Oh, boy. And then we get a choice of whether we want to go to the Empire or the Kingdom Capital. I've, I'm assuming this is just another false choice, but yep. I said the Empire. Because I want, to help, I want to help my king. I want to help Dimitri. Dimitri's my boy. I'm on his side. Yeah, neither neither choice actually matters, which kind of sucks. Moving on. Chapter did you did you have any paralogs? Uh in the next section I do. Okay. We'll talk about them. Chapter 15, part 2. Azure Moon. Pegasus Moon, Valley of Torment. So, we're going to the Valley of Torment and we're going to go hang out with Rodrigue. Uh, um for some reason I've I'm Named him Rodriguez. Thank you, autocorrect. So let's go visit Rodriguez. Then as we get a close-up, after we talk about this, we get a close-up on a random soldier who just says, Valley of Torment. 
Hmm. I'm sure that won't lead to anything whatsoever. The missions we have this month, we have to get secret things from for Anne for Anna, which is an exclusive DLC quest. You wouldn't know anything about it. Gilbert asks us for research again, and we have to find some random idol. And nothing interesting. Paralogue time. What paralogues did you end up doing around around this time? Well, I got a paralogue that you. I mean, you probably seen that you still have a net. Uh, so Annette uh, comes up and she's like, you know, I need to get our house's um, our house's holy relic because it's going to help us in the fight. And Gilbert's like, oh, it's owned by my brother, Baron Dominic. And uh, yeah, obviously, you know, his house is basically, they say his house is more like a feudal state. So whatever, like, I can't remember all the text. Anyways, so we're after, we're after this, like, uh, we're after the her hero's relic, but her uncle Dominic is like, you know, I can't give you this relic and i also can't let you leave with your lives not because i well he's not a vindictive guy unfortunately like he has no unique character design he's just one of the like helmeted night guys seriously yeah he has no unique unique sprite at all oh yeah so he's like just like a generic uh general but he's just like you know i can't let you leave because there are people in my army who will be who will take notice of you coming here and report back to uh cornelia and say, you know, our house is not on the up and up with you, and then they will come and kill us. So I'm sorry, but I have to do this. And it's actually somewhat of a difficult map at the very start, because you have four soldiers in a corner that have surrounded Gilbert and Annette. Gilbert can easily survive and tank those soldiers, but Annette cannot. So you actually kind of have to wait and get your units over there super quick uh, so you can rescue them. All well, in all... Well, Pegasus Knight and that can fly away. Oh, oh actually, she probably could. <sighs> but I but I think I think that she'd be deep enough in where she would at least get hit by one person. It, she just would not survive. I don't believe. There's probably someone out there like, <laughs> well, my Annette and her armor easily did everything, but... I have not been able to do it myself. But at the end of it, you do get uh, her house's holy relic. It is a giant hammer with what looks like teeth sticking out of it. I do love the design of all the relics. When, when you learn when you learn what, about the relics, oh, it's so good. Oh, what's this one made out of? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not a paralog I will ever get to play, ever. But and a paralog... Then, I, oh, sorry. I, I had one more that was notable because I'd actually... I have never actually gotten this one. So, Seth comes up, because the icon for it is Rhea. I'm just like, wait, Rhea's missing. So, uh, Seth comes up to me, and he's just like, or, well, it's either Seth or Gilbert, but one of them comes up to me and says, hey, I found this, you know, note uh, left behind from Rhea. She says, it looked like it was hastily scribbled, because it was more than likely, you know, written before the battle. And we're like, oh, so you were sneaking into Rhea's room looking for stuff? And, uh... He's like, oh, looking for things that could have helped. And so we have to go down into the holy tomb where, you know, Edelgard had her big betrayal moment. And there's like these, there's ghost soldiers down there. And there are uh, those golem things that you had mentioned in the previous chapter of the podcast that were broken down. The ones down here are like fully functional and everything. Uh, it's kind of, it was kind of a difficult map for me, but the reward you come out with it is the shield of Saros. And so, yeah, it was pretty interesting uh the first time and this is also the first time i've ever had a uh i think i got a, up to a b support and i'm wondering that if i had an a support going into the holy tomb would i've been able to get the sword of saros too what with raya 
Yeah, I, I either have a B support or an A support. It's the first time I actually had that because before I just had a C support. I've only, I did not have that one this time. I had no support with Rhea. Uh, I'm trying to think if I ha- had that. The I only supported with Rhea on my very first playthrough. So I don't remember if I had that. But that sounds really cool. I'm jealous I didn't get to do that. It's a, it's a neat map. Again, obviously it's a reused map, but it's still really cool and uh mm-hmm. The, sword, the Shield of Saros is definitely handy. I didn't get those paralogs, but I had two other paralogs. I had a paralog I've never played before. I got the paralog of Mercedes and Caspar. Oh, yes, I had this one too. Yes, and this one scared me as soon as I got the description because the description said something along the lines of make sure Caspar can survive against the Death Knight. And I have not been training Caspar. <laughs> yeah... I will say, I do want to, uh, well, I was going to say apologize. I don't really have anything to apologize about. We were building up uh, the Death Knight thing, and apparently the Death Knight via the DLC is only playable on uh, Edelgard's route. So he's not playable on, on our route, so sorry. Yeah, yeah, and even then, he only has supports with Byleth and uh, Mercedes, and the reason you find out there's a bond there is because, spoiler alert, Death Knight is Mercedes' brother Emil. No way. I am stunned by this revelation. Uh, Turns out the troops have seen the Death Knight in the area. Mercedes says that she admits she has a brother and she says she wants to meet the Death Knight. Caspar wanting to pick a fight says, heck yeah. We go to the map. It's again, of course, because every map is reused. It's the map where we go and kill uh, bad guys who killed our dad. The Sealed Forest. Yes. All our characters are at the south, except for Mercedes and Caspar, who are right beside the Death Knight. Good job, guys. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Thankfully, Death Knight doesn't attack him unless you get, like, right by him. Because I'm assuming, I assume it's just because we're playing on normal mode. If this was on hard or maniac mode, dear lord, we'd probably die. But it, it all works out. Caspar is able to live because I have Pegasus, I have an army of Pegasus Knights. It's just like my Byleth, my Leone, my Catherine, just like Pegasus Knight, fly up there, destroy everything in their path. Uh, it's it's quite nice ha- having Byleth be a Pegasus Knight. And at this point, I've got my the S rank Pegasus Knight, whatever that's called, the master class of the Pegasus Knights. So my Byleth is just completely unstoppable for me. The only thing that really just kind of makes the Mercedes-Caspar Death Knight thing kind of weird is that Mercedes and Caspar have no support with each other. That is weird. Like, it, we, there's another paralog, because, um, well, not paralog. Well, I mean, it is a paralog, but, like, we know that Ingrid and Dorothea, I think we mentioned that previous chap previous chapter, too, um... They do have supports, but here we don't have anything, so probably just a weird oversight. Yeah, th- this isn't goes into my hopes and dreams folder, but I hope the fourth DLC comes out. It's coming out with those four new characters, but I hope it comes out with new supports between the established characters, because there are so many that I feel like... I know the game has 10,000 supports already, but I'm selfish and I want more, because I, I love the Mercedes Caspar support. And just, I, I love a Caspar Leone support. I saw a on the Fire Emblem subreddit, Someone did a comic of a C, B, and A support for Leone and Caspar and is the most adorable thing. If 
you have not seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Of just like them training with each other. Uh, and Caspar has the re- revelation. She's like, wait a second, you're a girl. <laughs> just, like, just such a silly, stupid little support. Just completely fan made up, but it's wonderful. It's, it's a shame when you don't get like similar personality types that you know would be actually pretty good with each other and they don't have supports. Like, I think there's two characters that are afraid of ghosts, and I don't think they have supports. I know one of them's like Scythia. Yeah, I think Ash has that problem, and uh, Aloise has that problem. Oh, the, man, the Aloise Mercedes support is so silly and fun. Oh, man. Have I told you I love this game? I love this game. Uh, I think Is it your game of the year? Yeah, I think it's my game of the year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on, though. It, moving on. We managed to defeat the Death Knight so I can get that Dark Seal so I can finally have my Dark Mage. I will make that happen. Dang it. And Emil tells Mercedes to leave the monastery. She tells him to join him, to join her, but nothing happens. So he gives Mercedes a relic and he gives Caspar a scythe. Oh no, why give Caspar a scythe? Uh, That's not going to end well. But that's the end of that. Uh and I move on to, unless you have anything else, I have another paralogue to get on, gone to. We're just throwing all the paralogues in at once. Yep. I, I don't think I have anything else. I have perhaps my favorite paralogue because it goes into the story of one of my favorite characters in this game. I've got the Marianne paralogue. Oh, yes. Actually, I did do this one. Okay. My heart. Uh, at the start of this, a Crest Scholar jerk accuses her of being something called the Wandering Beast. At this point, Marianne finally reveals the secret of her crest. She has the twelfth crest, Maurice's crest, the crest of the beast. We we learn the history of the twelve crests. One of them belonged uh, to the king of the 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 king, which the crest of flames one. Liberation. King of liberation. Yes, you're correct. I didn't write that part down, even though that's the most important important part of it. And then there are the elites of the ten, the crest of the ten elites. And then there's the twelfth crest, the crest of Maurice, who just wandered out and has been, that crest has been lost for a thousand years. And so Marianne runs away and we go, go after Marianne and she is alone in a forest and surrounded by a bunch of beasts, including the legendary wandering beast. He says he's been wandering around for a thousand years. Time to fight. Yeah, this is a hard map. Yes, it is a great map. And if you're Marianne, can't dodge anything, I'm sorry. Run away. I don't think I had had her trained up to be the um, Holy Knight yet. So she was still in like her, not base magic class, but she was still in a magic class. And I, I almost lost her. Uh, it's easy to see why that can happen even on normal mode it's just like hide Marianne in the forest hope she doesn't get hit and get Mercedes within psychic distance yeah because as soon as this starts you are she starts in front of the boss and off like sort of because it's it's also a fog of war map and there's like two or three other like monsters that are within her range as well you better hide get her to the north if you can where there's a ballista where the monsters can't reach her. See, I didn't even know that. There is, because, but because of the fog of war, unless you like recognize the map immediately, you might not know that unless you scrolled up. So just 
hide Marianne in the forest and try to get to her and fight through wave after wave of of monstrous beast in order to do that. And I love this map. It's one of my favorite maps because I love the story to it. And I love that you're just fighting beasts the entire time. It's, it's a hard map, but it's a satisfying map. It is. Uh, And then finally, as the wandering beast dies, he gives Marianne, he recognizes Marianne's crest and gives her the sword. Uh, we go back to the monastery and the jerk crestfaller says that the sword has Maurice's mark and he apologizes. Luckily, unfortunately, it's a cutscene, so we can't stab that guy with the sword, but whatever. Yeah. Mar- Marianne finally has a little bit of peace. Yeah. It's like, you're a great character. I, I, I love Marianne. It's sort of a, not necessarily a follow-up to this, but my favorite, I think my favorite pairing for this game I'm trying to think of more that I really liked, but this one really sticks out to me is Lorenz and Marianne. Surprise, I like Lorenz. Did you guys know? <laughs> because she's actually like, she's about to tell him about the crest, and he's like, you know, you don't have to tell me about your crest. You know, tell me when you're ready or something like that. Because she's about to say, well, cause she's basically going to tell him that, you know, you can't love me or you can't be with me because the power of my crest. And, and that kind of built a little bit of mystery for me before I got her paralogue and then kind of seeing, you know, what her crest actually was. Uh, really, I was just like, Oh, I get it now. The, the mystery of her crest is so I think it's really well done. There, there are a couple of mysteries that they try to hide in sports, like the mystery of like Cynthia's double crest, they try to build up, but I think there are enough context clues. You completely get it um, until you play this paralogue. I don't think you really understand what Marianne's crest is capable of. So I think this is, a really good mystery that plays along with it. Oh, I love this map. I love Marianne's character. Uh, but it's time. The time for paralogs is finally over for me, at least. Did you have any more? No, no I'm done. <laughs> All right. We get to hang out with Dimitri a little bit more. Says something along the lines of, I will kill her. And until then she must live. Fantastic. Dimitri totally sane. Oh boy. I don't know why I wrote this down. It says something like heart house Bartles changed him. House. I probably should have added more context to that. House Bartle has changed him. What? Good. Good job. Card was good job with the note taking. You're an expert. Well, you I didn't are... take, I didn't take any notes. So that's a good idea. Eh. Onto the map ambush at IL. I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. Oh crud. We've been ambushed and by someone with a gray lion banner. Ah, Luckily, I have my white magic master, Dimitri, here. He'll he'll save us with prayer and white healing magic. Oh, boy. Rodriguez. Dang it, autocorrect. Rodriguez arrives to help reinforce because Glendale, the gray lion, has started to move. And we have a lava map. We have a lava map where the boss will actually move. We start in the bottom right, but thankfully it's a decently simple enough map. Don't stand on lava. The enemy will stand on lava. You probably had no trouble, though, with your Pegasus Knights. Yeah, I have so many flying units. This is the first time I've gone heavy on the flying units in a playthrough, and the, it's, it's, it's broken. I'm probably going to avoid using more than, like, one or two Pegasus Knights in the future because when half your army is Pegasus Knights and uh, Wavern Knights, it's broken. It's broken to the point where I'm not having as much fun. That's why you should have went with horses, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm light on the horses. Uh, I have switched... Leone back to Paladin. I've uh, promoted Dimitri up to the master class of the 
white magic user on the horse. So I've got two horse units at least. End of this map, no problems whatsoever fighting the gray lion as he moves towards us because magic just destroys him. Rodrigue encourages Dimitri, let's go back to the kingdom. Let's go there before the empire. But Dimitri's like, no, no. Even though, like, Rodrigo also says that, you know, the people are waiting for their prince to return. The people are suffering there. Demetrius like, no, we have to kill Edelgard. I must have her head. They won't be satisfied. Referring they, to the voices in his head. They counsel him. They understand. Uh, and so we decide that we have to move east. We have to go through the alliance. And we have to hope that Claude helps us. Chapter 16. Part 2. Azure Moon. Lone Moon. The rose-colored river. We have late-night talks with Rod Rieg in the church. He talks about Glenn, and he talks about how he never really scolded Dimitri when he was helping to raise him up. He regrets that, and we might be seeing the result of that, partially. Uh, For the monthly quests at the monastery, the usual random battle, get Gilbert supplies, and a DLC quest. We have to help. A little girl find Anna's book, the most important quest of all. Yeah, well, we we owe Anna everything. Yeah, we we get the little girl the book, and it's just like how to be a business person. It's it's an important DLC. Yeah, I'm glad I spent money on it. Oh, we get to see Felix berate Dimitri for not holding in his anger, which is nice. This is a case of like, would the uh, does Sylvain or Annette do anything in these in these scenes of note? No, Sylvain mostly just kind of hangs back to himself. He comments on stuff, but he pretty much kind of keeps his distance. Uh, poor Dark Mage Sylvain. Poor Dark Mage uh, Hanneman. Don't worry, I made uh, Inez. Uh, it, my brain is just broken. Uh, I ended up making Ignatz. Why did I call him Inez? I'm thinking of sacred stones. You got me thinking of sacred stones. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've made Ignatz my new dark mage. So I'm. Don't worry. He'll he'll be there at the end. He'll save the world with his dark magic. After Felix berates Dimitri, we have our bridge mission because nothing really happens this month. We're at the top right of the bridge. We got to split into the northwest and to the southwest in order to take on a bunch of foes. We've got three baddies with names. Those three baddies are generic lady whose name I don't didn't write down. We have. Ferdinand von Eyer, and we have Lorenz. This is my first case of fighting students, and I killed them both with Dimitri. <gasps> Ferdinand von Eyer and Lorenz. I've lost both of... Did you know that those guys were nobles? Yeah. Lorenz. Lorenz is dead. Lorenz actually hasn't joined my side post-time skip. So uh, I had to confront him with Byleth and beat him and then uh, chose to spare his life so he would join me where he rightfully belongs. Did you have Ferdinand von Eyer on your side? No. So this was your first case of killing your students. Congratulations, you're a horrible professor. Now he's Ferdinand von dead. Well, you know what? You know what? I did a mercy killing. Otherwise, he's going to look as bad as his dad would have if he would have gotten older. Good point. Good point. But, oh, it's it's turn two of this map. What... Who, who's that in the top right corner who just appeared in the... It's my dancer! Dudu! He's not... Dead. Yes, the Blue Lion Volleyball Squad finally has their cheerleader back. Dudu. Dudu. And of course, 
the do is first level up for me it's just he just gets one point because my do is the most orangey screwed character i ever had <laughs> you go back to the bench to do just cheer from the bench but you do yeah. like when you see to do like he's got like some scars and marks on his face now so he's been through probably the same hell that dimitri has yeah, and Dimitri seems happy-ish, more shocked to see him. After the map, we get a nice little scene of just like Dimitri ordering to do, don't die for me. And then some totally innocent random maiden who totally isn't going to turn out to be from the Black Eagles squad. She turns up saying that she must avenge her big brother. So Dimitri's like, yeah, you can join us. I couldn't imagine who killed him, but we're going to get that bastard. I can't imagine that her big brother was actually Randolph, who we killed in Chapter 14, but eh, won't worry about it. Things are so happy. Things are turning around. Things are starting to be happy. But that is the end for now. Until next time. We'll, how far will we go next time in this in the playthrough? Uh, I'm trying to think about the chapters, because it has been a little bit since I played. So we stopped at 17. Like we we stopped at sixteen this time, so next time we'll we'll start with seventeen. And just, I don't know how many chapters are in the are in this playthrough. Are there enough that we finish this in one go, or do we need to do one more split? I believe there are. I think everyone else has twenty two chapters, and I think Blue Lions has twenty three. All right, so go through chapter twenty. Yeah, that sounds all right. Then after that, we'll. After chapter 20, we'll play it through to the end. So next time, uh, 17 to 20. And then the next chapter after that, we'll be going to the end. Yeah. And listeners out there, you can suggest to us what the next playthrough should be. We will absolutely take in your opinions into consideration. Yep. And with all that said, um, it's been pretty pretty full-packed New Year's episode card was so if you want to follow us you can follow me at plan ordo him at kd corley and on emblem supports on twitter with that said chapter complete